right. We praise God for the opportunity to study his word. We are back in the word of God, um, which is really the only place we we want to be found these days is in the word of God, especially with all the things that's going on. You need something to help you make sense of it. And you know what? That's what the word of God does, helps you make sense of it, because we are not surprised by the events of the day. There are a lot of things going on, a lot of turmoil all over the place and unrest and, 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 and be that as it may, you know what? God is still in control. He not for one moment, not for one second, has he stopped being in control. We pray for righteousness and we pray for God to keep his people, that he'll move, that he will save Israel. That, and when I say that, I'm talking about the hearts and the minds of the people. Our greatest desire, Paul's greatest desire was that the whole house of Israel would be saved. And that's what we want first and foremost. We want the salvation of every man, woman, boy, or girl. We want that. The Bible says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. We learned that in Psalms 122. If you have not read it, I invite you to read it. Wonderful, wonderful Psalm. We want to be praying for the peace of Jerusalem more than ever. And we want to be praying for the hearts and souls of men. The Bible says in 1 Samuel um, 17, as we pick back up, chapter 17, verse 32 through 37, our scripture says, and David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth. And he, a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered him out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David said, moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine and Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. As always, God, may he richly add a blessing to those who hear, those who obey and do his word. We thank God for that. We're picking the word of God back up. Um, when, I, when we last talked on last week, um, we answered a question that uh, was asked by uh, Cain. Uh, one that we said really should have been obvious and without need of asking. Cain asked in uh, Genesis 4, 9, the word of God says this, and the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, am I my brother's keeper? What a disrespectful um, way to, to respond to the most high who already knows everything. And, 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 and I'm glad that, that God is patient with people. He could have just outright, uh, just, just, just handled Cain, but, but he actually gave Cain an opportunity to kind of come clean. And, um, many of us today, you're operating in that space, that space of grace, so to speak, um, where you, you, you are guilty of sin. You're not going to get out of it. Not even almost, but, but God's given you time to repent. Amen. He's given you space to repent. Back one scripture tells us even above Jezebel, the Bible says he gave her space to repent. Those that walk in unrighteousness and wickedness. And here's the thing, 
all of us walked in that but you can't but if but here's the thing if you're gonna make it to heaven you can't stay in that because you can't have heaven all the while you're living like hell that's not gonna work that's not gonna work you got to come clean you got to confess your sins your faults you got to turn from all of that mess i know i know this world paints a, a rosy picture that almost looks like you can have your cake and you can eat it too but here's the thing here's the reality that some of that might work for the world but none of that works for god see because his ways is not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts and it's never going to be that way it's never going to be that way. It's not going to be a time where the thoughts of the God and, and the ways of this world is going to align. It's not going to happen. He's, he just, he, it's, it's already written. Family, it's already written. Our ways, they're not his. Our thoughts, they are not his. We can't even almost act like God thinks the way that, that we think. No, we don't. We can't even almost act as though God does things the way that we do. No, we don't. I guarantee you God going to always surprise you. Why? Because he's not going to operate according to your methodology. You know, God's not going to follow your process. No, we're going to, he's going to follow his own. God is absolutely sovereign. Yet we had Cain asking this question and, um, and, um, and, 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 and how rude and disrespectful it was, but at the same time, it actually foreshadowed or it actually uh, highlighted a very real, sad, but very real sentiment that many of us share um, that, uh, that, that mindset of when it comes to the um, well-being of our brothers and sisters, sometimes we have the mindset of, am I my brother's keeper? Okay, David, we said, as we move forward, because we are in our text, David stepped into the arena um, before David could step into the arena against Goliath. We said that the first enemy that he had to fight, that he had to face, that he had to conquer was that of fear. Why? Because that fear had everybody else running scared. He first had to step into the arena against the beast of fear before he could face the beast that was Goliath. Amen. Amen. He had to do that. David chose, we said, to be fearless in the face of the fearful. That's not always easy. Not always easy at all, because there's a lot of stuff out there that uh, that uh, if you don't have the Lord to stabilize you, it'll put you to fright. It will. It will put you to fright and you'll find yourself <laughs> being put to flight. You will be running out of there. You'll be heading for any place you can, you can get to. But I'm, but, but what, but I'm glad that when the Lord is present and accounted for in our lives, you ain't got to run from nobody. Nope. You ain't got to run from nobody. You don't have to run from nothing. It don't matter how dreary the situation is. It doesn't matter how sideways it's looking and, and you live long enough. You're going to see some sideways stuff. That's just what it is. That's part of life. That's part of the human condition. We live in a fallen world. You're going to see some stuff and it ain't going to always be good stuff. And some of that stuff, man, it's going to want to have you running to the, from the, you know, just running, you know, to the hills and to caves and all kinds of different stuff. But my Bible tells us stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Family of God, we don't have to run no matter how dreary, no matter how, how dark it looks. No matter how bleak the situation, whether we are praying, praying for loved ones who seem to have turned a deaf ear and a blind eye to the things of God, we watch their lifestyle and we can see foolishness playing out before our very eyes, even the unnecessary. But I'm going to tell you something. God is still on that throne. 
and see, and not even the foolishness of man is strong enough to stop God. Because when God gets aroused, and I just believe that when the saints of God join together and begin to pray on one accord, I'm telling you, there's something wonderful about unity. How good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. When we begin to call on heaven, don't, don't put God in a box. You, you go climb in your own box, but don't we're gonna go putting God in it because you can't, you can't, you, you, you can't, you can't box God. No, no, he's limitless. And I'm glad that he is because he's limitless. That means he can break my limits. He can break your limits. So right when you feel like you're going as far as you can go, I guarantee you there's still further you can go in the name of Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, David chose to be fearless in the face of the fearful. Fearlessness and um, fearfulness our choices. We talked about that. And we also learned um, in the book of Ecclesiasticus, chapter two, verses seven through 11, that we simply just do not have to be afraid. We just absolutely don't. The word says this, ye that fear the Lord, wait for his mercy and go not aside, lest ye fall. Ye that fear the Lord, believe him and your reward shall not fail. Ye that fear the Lord, hope for good and for everlasting joy and mercy. Look at the greatness of old and see, did ever any trust in the Lord and was confounded? Or did any abide in his fear, that says reverence, and was forsaken? Or whom did ever despise the call, that called upon him? For the Lord is full of compassion and mercy, long-suffering and very pitiful and forgiveth sins and saveth in the time in, of affliction. Now, we don't have to be afraid. And I don't know about you, but that word right there, that word of God tells it all just in a nice, neat package. You don't have to be afraid. I love how he said, did anybody put their fear in the Lord? Abide in his fear and in respect and his reverence is what that means. And then was somehow forsaken. Nobody was. Or those who put their trust in the Lord, were they somehow put to made confounded or put to confusion? Nobody was. God simply does not fail. David did this, we said, not on just behalf of himself. David did have to step into the arena against fear. We know that because fear, as we saw in the scripture, was the very thing that, um, that uh, paralyzed all of the nation of Israel. Everybody else, when Goliath entered the battlefield, when he entered the fray, man, they were like, did you see this man? Did you, have you seen this guy? They were stopped, everything. They even, even in the face of knowing what the reward was, we talked about that a little bit last week, that still wasn't enough to get them to overcome the shaking that was in their knees. Their knees. They were just quaking in the boots and they couldn't, and they couldn't overcome it. That man had induced fear. And in order for David to do what he did, David had to run up against and do something about that fear. He had to square off with it. And we know from the rest of the story that that's exactly what he did. God allowed him to overcome all of that. But David didn't do that just for himself, but he did it on behalf of the people. And that was that's family, that's friends, that's acquaintances, and that is the stranger as well. The enemy needed to be stopped, we said, but the wrong type of fear, you know what it does? You know what it did? It paralyzed everybody else. And it still does the same thing. When you get the wrong type of fear, 
it'll stop you from making forward momentum, that progress that you need. See, the mission of God given to us is unto people, okay? It's not to yourself. God doesn't give you a ministry for you to just be using, just, just you know, you to go preach to yourself, you to go witness to yourself. No, come on, that's ridiculous. That makes no sense at all. And if that's you, it's time to come on out of that. It's time to come on out of the box that you have put yourself in and the corner that you have painted yourself in where you don't give what, and you're not sharing what the gifts that God has put within you. No, you got to move forward. Amen. Because if you don't, that's the equivalent of the man who's given those talents, which is really a sum of money. And, um, and, um, and with that sum of, and with that sum of money, with that, 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 that sum of money, he wouldn't bury it. He literally went and buried it. And you don't want that to be you. You don't want that, that to be you. But, but, but that's what happens when we get paralyzed and, and, we, and uh, especially when we've got something to offer that God has given us and we don't make any kind of progress with it. We don't do anything with it. That is the equivalent of taking what God has invested in you and you not using it. So there grows no interest. It does nothing whatsoever. And when the Lord of the harvest, when the Lord comes back and he requires his return, you know what you're going to hand him? You're going to hand him the same thing that he handed you. You're going to hand and got all and, 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 and it's not going to be enough. It wasn't enough for that man in the parable and it's not going to be enough for you. No, God is expect, expecting a return. God is looking for interest. You better hear what I'm telling you. God is, God is looking for interest. Don't, don't get, don't, don't I, I have, have you, it doesn't matter. Maybe you're not as young as you, as you used to be. You can still share that word. You don't never stop. You don't retire. Ain't no retiring from the, from, from the kingdom of heaven. Ain't no such thing as you put your time in and now you're done. I don't care if you're 99 years old, going on 100. You still got a voice. You can still say amen. You can still lift up Jesus. And you know what? You can still do it no matter who is in your presence. And that's what we got, that's what we got to do. Amen. Amen. The mission that God gave us is unto people. And, 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 and because it is unto people, guess what we can't have? We can't have fear of those people. If you are afraid of the people that you are sent to minister to, brothers and sisters, you're not going to get anything done. I'm not going to get anything done. I can't fear those same people that God sends me to. No. At a certain point, I got to know that as he said to Jeremiah, he's saying to me, be not afraid of their faces. Why? For I am with thee to deliver thee. Read that in Jeremiah chapter one. Amen. Amen. No, we can't be afraid to those in whom God sends us to. Because it'll always keep us from completing the mission and we don't want to do that. Amen. Be reminded of Isaiah. 51 and 12. Don't let it, listen, don't let it be too far from you. When you start to feel, feel that fear and about going forward and a little nervousness with, with stepping out and sharing your testimony. And it can be a little, it can be, it can be a little off-putting at times. It can be a little scary at times, you know, and then it, it really can, but you can't stop there because your God is greater and he's worthy. Everything that he's done for you, it makes him worthy of you pushing past to go forward. Isaiah 51, 12 simply says it like this. I, even I am he that comforteth you. That means he soothes you. That means he puts you at ease. 
That means he silences the voices that have made you afraid. He said, I, even I am he, not somebody else, him that comforteth you. Who art thou that thou shouldest be afraid of a man that shall die and of the son of man, which shall be made as grass. One scripture tells all flesh is as grass. Don't be afraid. Don't be intimidated. The enemy wants you to be intimidated when it comes to sharing your testimony. But let me let me see if I can offer some words that might help you, especially if you have recently found yourself in a place, in a position where you actually have the opportunity to share your faith with somebody. Your testimony is your story. Whoever you sharing it with, with nine times out of 10, they were not there when God did what he did for you. So why are you afraid of what they might say? Can they actually, can they dispute it? They wasn't there. They don't know. So it is not like they can realistically even tell you with any kind of validity. No, that didn't happen. How do they know? They wasn't there. You just open your mouth. And share the goodness of God. Don't worry about whether people are going to believe. That's the, listen, faith is always the responsibility of the hearer. Do you hear what I'm telling you? Not the deliverer. Not the person who delivers the message. Faith is always the responsibility of those that are hearing the message. It is not your responsibility to make anybody believe the gospel. Belief in the gospel is a choice, and it is a choice that God has given to all men, and all men and women must decide for themselves whether they will believe the gospel. It's up to them. That's their choice. Whether they believe it or not is not your concern. You got one job to do, so do that. Focus on that. Share the word of God. Amen. Are we said, we asked the question, are we willing to push past on behalf of others, even if we don't personally know them? Because remember, David didn't just do this. He didn't just square off with fear and Goliath for himself, but he did this on behalf of family, friends, acquaintances, and strangers. David didn't know everybody in Israel. Those were his countrymen, but he didn't know them. He didn't know everybody. You don't know everybody. But David still took one for the team on behalf of everybody. And we got to ask the question, are we willing to do that? Are we willing to push past for the greater good of someone else? Especially when, where salvation is concerned. You know that they're not saved. You know that they don't know the Lord. But maybe you've had one too many, you've had, well, one too one too many conversations that you that then you care for where they responded or showed themselves to have an aversion to spiritual things and you kind of feel like man you don't need talking about nothing they ain't gonna listen no way sometimes we get like that that, that really does happen but we can't afford to think like that because we're not called to think like that we're not called to live like that we are not called 
to operate in that way. You got to remind yourself, I have to remind myself at all times, when you feel the urge to just say, you know what, I'm done. I'm not even going to, I already know how this person's going to respond. I know they're not going to respond favorably. In fact, I'm more liable to get into an argument than to get into, you know, any type, any other type of, of conversation. I'm just not going, when you listen, when you feel that way, and there are some people, family, friends, there, there are some people and, and especially and acquaintances and, and even, and especially strangers, people you really just don't know there, 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 sometimes there can be a point where you feel like that, or you worry about that. But I want to tell you that greater is he that is in you. Greater is he that's in me than he that is in the world. Listen, the devil came to rob, kill, and destroy. And that's what he want to do. And he does most of his robbing, most of his killing, most of his destroying. Guess what? Via the vehicle sometimes of our silence. Not saying anything. Sitting on the cure, Jesus Christ, but you won't share it. I won't share it. No, these things should not be named among us. We got to stop trying to rely on our own strength and we got to let the Lord Jesus Christ be our strength to push us past and propel us further than the limitations that our fear imposes upon us. Because the Lord didn't stop at looking at whether or not you and I were worthy. He didn't stop at that. He already knew he wasn't worthy. My Bible tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means that, guess what? He was taking one for the team. When you and I did not even care, we so didn't care that we didn't even care that we didn't care. That's how much we didn't care. But in spite of that, look at Jesus on the cross in the process of them murdering him, saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And if God kept going, even to the point <laughs> while that body that he created for sacrifice, they were in the process of murdering it, murdering him. Man, if he, we, we, then we really don't have any excuse. God kept going because most of us, the bottom line is we're not going to sacrifice to that point. Most of the time, our sacrifice don't result in blood. It don't always result in, in some extreme response. So we really ain't got no excuse. Because they were piercing him in the side. They were nailing him in the hands and feet. They were placing a crown of thorns on him. Do you hear? Disrespect. In every way. Towards someone who didn't even deserve it. but took on our sins. 
he hung on that cross to become a curse for us and the punishment of it. Bible says, curse is he that hangeth on a tree. He was on that cross and he took on that curse. Everything that was all of us that we were guilty of, he took it on himself and paid the price. Now, you and I just don't, we, we, listen, we, we don't, we don't, we, God just doesn't even require us to go that far. Many times, most times in the natural. So we really don't have an excuse for not going the extra mile for a brother and a sister. We just, we just not going to get away with that. Okay. We just not, he, Jesus was our perfect example and, and he, and he, and his success proved that we can live above the noise and the rhetoric of sin. It doesn't have to go down that way. Your story, my story does not have to end in tragedy. No, no, no. He went to a cross and he rose and he ascended and he is coming back. Why? So that we can rise in victory. Rise in triumph, not tragedy. Amen. That's good stuff. And that's things that we, and those are things that we need to know. Pushing past for the greater good of someone else, especially where it comes to salvation. It's going to oftentimes require us to push through and push past that fear. That's what David did. And we got to ask ourselves, is that something that we're willing to do? And if we are willing to do, how, are we willing to do it for a brother or a sister? And if we're willing to do it for them, how about for an acquaintance? Somebody you, you barely know. And if you're willing to do it for them, what about a stranger? Somebody you don't know. See, what if the prize, the only prize was that of helping them to overcome their fears? And if that was the only prize to get, if it was nothing else to get out of it, nothing to be gained, the question is, is would you do it? Because David rose to the occasion so that the army that should have been backing him up but was cowardly and cringingly hiding practically. David rose up so that they could rise up. Are you willing to do that? Pushing past fear to accomplish things for ourselves, that's one thing. But it is written, the strong must stand up. Bear those infirmities of the weak. Look at Romans 15, 1 through 3. We then that are strong ought to what? Bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. For even Christ pleased not himself. But as it is written, the reproach, the reproaches of them that reproached thee fell on me. Basically, they're saying that those sins that God wasn't cool with, 
Jesus was saying, I, he took them on. Because the word is telling us that he's the one that took them on. Jesus took on those sins that he did not commit. Strong, got to bear the infirmities of the weak. Amen. You might not want to stand up, but when the Bible says the strong must bear or ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, you need to understand something. That weak is inclusive of everybody who is weak. It does not include just your brother or your sister. It's not just those that you know who happen to be weak. Uh-uh. No, no, no. You don't get to pick and choose. I do not get to pick and choose. If you're going to follow Christ, if you're going to be a true child of God, you do not get to pick and choose who you're going to take one for the team for. Because Jesus took one for everybody. My goodness, he's not, he's expecting no less from you and I. He's expecting no less. You don't know, no, no picking and choosing, no cherry picking. Oh, I like him. I don't like her. Oh, I like them. I don't like those. No, 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 no. Notice what that word said. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities, what, of the weak and not to please ourselves. You can't do it self-centered. It ain't going to work. You can't do for selfish ambition and goals and all these. That can't be the guiding principle or the thing that, no, 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 no. That's trash. You got to get rid of that. Just, just take it on out to the trash can. And, and, and I think it's garbage day coming up. Take it on out to the street. You don't need it. Let the garbage man take that away. Because you can't live in that. You can't live in that. See, the strongest presentation of love possible family is that of self-sacrifice on the behalf of somebody else see that's the strongest presentation of love the strongest way you can present love the strongest way that love can be presented on earth is through that of self-sacrifice family on the behalf of someone else there is no greater no no there's no greater <laughs> um, presentation than that not at all. This is what Jesus did. And one of the many things that separates him from everyone else. Look at Romans chapter five. And I want you to look at verse six. And I want you to look at verse eight. Amen. Romans chapter five, verse six says this. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the who? Ungodly. Notice there is no other <laughs> there's no other descriptive word or title to further differentiate who he died for. He said the ungodly. Guess who the ungodly are? That's you and me. That's everybody. That's not a select people. That's not a, <laughs> that's not picking and choosing. That's everybody. That's everybody. Verse number eight, that was verse number six. Of Romans chapter five, verse number eight, told you to look at that one too. Verse number eight says this, but God commended his love toward us. That means he showed it. That means he put it in action. In that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see how those scriptures work hand in hand? See that? I told you, I'm gonna say it again. The strongest presentation 
representation of love possible on earth? Is that a self-sacrifice on the behalf of somebody else? If you ain't sacrificing for nobody else, you ain't putting your all into love. I, I know that that's, that's, that's difficult for some people to hear, but you're not. You're not loving with everything. If your love don't require you to sacrifice nothing, you ain't loving like you should. And you certainly not loving to the capacity that you could. Because the strongest representation, presentation, example, whatever you want to call it, of love possible is that of self-sacrifice on the behalf of someone else. And that someone else you don't get to define. You don't get to pick and choose who it is. See, as believers presenting this type of love, that is our God-given responsibility. See, it's more than just a, a good thing to do. It's more than just a notion and, um, and a wonderful thing to kind of think about or gravitate. No, no, no. You are called to be like Christ. And that means you are called to be like him. I am called to be like him in every way imaginable. It is our God-given responsibility to present this kind of love. Yet, for as much as it is our resp responsibility given to us by God Almighty, it remains one of the hardest things for us to do. Even though Romans 5 and 7 says this. So now we grab that middle scripture before I gave you five and six, and then I skipped over seven and I gave you eight. Now we're going to look at that middle one. We're going to look at verse number seven. Okay. Because it remains, I just said that this presenting this type of love is our God given responsibility, but it remains one of the hardest, most difficult things for us to do. Now we look at that middle scripture in our scripture set. Romans five and seven says this for scarcely for a righteous man will one die yet pre-adventure for a good man some would even dare to die you see that what is he telling you well let's read it all in context let's read it all in context and see if it makes a little bit more for when we were yet sinners going back to verse six for excuse me, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Preadventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us why don't i throw in nine and ten much more than being now justified by his blood we shall be saved from wrath through him all this is possible family because of what he did preemptively on our behalf verse 10 for if when we were enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more being reconciled we shall be saved by his life. Now, verse number seven, if we go back, 
for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. What he's telling you is that this is not a normal thing. That's basically what he's telling you. See, verse six tells us that when we didn't have no strength in due time, Christ took one for the team. He died for the ungodly. And we fell in the category of the ungodly. And verse seven is simply there to show you that him doing that was not a normal thing. Most people, what, he, what verse seven really is telling is the is really the, the man of God, the apostle telling us most people would not have done that. That's literally what verse seven is telling you. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. In other words, the inference that's being drawn here or the, 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 the contrast that's being drawn here is that God, the, the Lord, the, God took on the flesh of a man and then he sacrificed that body. He lived, um, operated in that body and then he sacrificed that body. He himself was righteous, but he sacrificed it for we who were unrighteous. And the, what he, the word is telling you is, is that People will barely do that for people who are worth it. But nobody's really going to do that for anyone who's not worth it. But the Bible is telling you is, is that you and I fell in the category of not being worth it, yet God did it all on our behalf. I'm, Jesus is wonderful. <laughs> He's worth pushing past. The natural fears and concerns and things that come to you that to try to deter you, the devil is still a liar. And all he wants and all he's interested in is you becoming stagnant. Because why? He wants you to have the testimony of the man who was given the talents or the sum of money who did nothing with it but bury it. Then when the Lord comes, you, you, your conversation is the same. Oh, I knew you were a hard man. You, 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 you reap where you, where you, you reap it so wherever it is that you, you want it. I just didn't want to mess up. So I just held to what it is. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give you something straight. I'm going to give it to you straight today. If you are a child of God, If you believe yourself to be a child of God, because I can't speak for you definitively, but I pray that you are, that you have obeyed that gospel. But let me tell you something. If after you have obeyed that gospel, you still at square one, you in trouble. You have a heart problem, ma'am. You have a heart problem, sir. And you better check yourself because you probably are not going to make it. Because you're walking away. If you still at the same level. If that salvation has produced nothing in you. You won't share the word. You won't go the extra mile. You won't do anything. You just show up to church or show up online or whatever else it is. And all you do is eat, 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 and get. God has put an investment in you. My Bible says he's got this treasure in earthen vessels. My goodness, he's, going, he's looking for a return. Heaven help you if you ain't got one. Because that divine fruit inspector is coming. And you know what? He's looking. He said, well, I find faith on the earth. Oh, yeah, that's what Jesus said. I wonder, I wonder will I find faith 
on the earth when I return. What will he find? What will Jesus find? Better make sure. One who is a child of God or claims to be a child of God and does not the work of God. Because faith without works is dead, being alone. One who claims to be a child of God but has no works of faith. I ain't talking about regular works. I'm talking about works of faith. That's different. If you don't have no works of faith, you in trouble. You are in trouble. So as believers, it is our responsibility, but it's also one of the hardest things for us to do. And that's what Romans 6, the 5 and 7 was telling us. Basically let us know that now, look, some people would dare to do it every now and then for somebody who's worthy, somebody who's righteous. But what the analogy that he was trying to draw or the, the contrast he's trying to draw is, is that that scarcely rarely happens for somebody who is worth it. It typically does not happen for those who are not worth it. What is he trying to tell you? No one's going to go take one for the team for the rapist. Nobody's going to go take one for the team for the murderer. Nobody's going to go take one for the team for the embezzler and the liar and the cheater and the whoremonger and the adulterer and the fornicator. Nobody takes one for the team. Except for Jesus. Because my Bible says such were some of you. Oh, we had that. We, 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 yeah, we had that testimony. Such were some of us. But you hear what that word says? When we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Don't, don't listen. I don't, I know you, some of you been saved for a while. Don't you forget that you've been saved from something. He didn't save you from perfection. Meaning he came and picked you up while you was, no, you wasn't, you was messed up. Just like me, just like him, just like her, just like them. He put up with your mess, my mess. He opened the door of salvation to us because we were not worthy. It's your unworthiness, my unworthiness that qualifies you, makes you and I eligible for salvation. It's because we're not worthy. So don't let the devil try to hijack you thinking you got to get yourself right and all this other kind of stuff before you can partake in what God has. No, it's for those who, are, who can't get themselves right. It is the thing that will get you right. God will use that to make you right. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. This thing is not hard. This thing is not, is not hidden. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Keep that in mind. See, Peter intended to do it. He intended to do the right thing. He intended to go the extra mile. Do we have some examples? Yeah, we do. We, Peter. Peter intended to, 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 to do it. 
to sacrifice because I told you it is our responsibility, but yet it's one of the hardest things for us to do. Peter did intend to do it. Look at Matthew 26, 31 through 34. And you can also look at Mark 14, 27 through 30. These are parallel accounts. And then you also have John 13 and 38, which talks about it yet again. Matthew 26, 31, 34, let's put it this way. Then saith Jesus unto them, all ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. But after I am risen again, I will go before you to, um, into Galilee. Peter answered, look at Peter, watch this. And said unto him, though all men shall be offended of thee, yet will I never be offended. Look at God knowing more about us than we know about ourselves. Here comes Jesus talking. Jesus saith unto him, verily I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. Look at Mark 14. And look at verse 29 in that. But Peter said unto him, although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Look at Peter, good intentions. You got to love it. You got to love it. Would that we had such noble intentions concerning our Lord and Savior. Jesus telling you, you're going to be offended. And I want to talk to somebody for just a moment here. God's going to offend you. Oh, yes, he will. That word of God, it cuts. And when you've been living in darkness for so long, perpetrating darkness, when you're exposed to the light, especially being in darkness for so long, light is blinding. It actually hurts the eyes at first. And what hurts them until the eyes become adjusted to light. It hurts. It hurts. But once those eyes are adjusted to the light, you're able to see clearly. You're able to see what you couldn't see before. Peter intended to do the right thing and the Lord told, but the Lord told him, you're going to be offended. The way of God going to offend you sometimes. The will of God is going to offend you sometimes. And you're going to find yourself sometimes. Sad as it is. But I'm going to preach it to you straight. You're going to find yourself sometimes squaring off crossing swords with God Almighty. Because you're offended at him. And the interesting thing about this, the interesting thing um, about this, is that the word offended here, really, if you get into it, really means to become filled with disgust or revulsion for something, but it actually means something more than that. It also means to trip and to stumble.
the word of God, it means you're going to get tripped up. It's going to stump you, cause you to stumble. Because there are going to be some things that in the word of God, that your natural man just simply will not agree with, does not want to agree with. Well, let me save you some pain. God is right. And you are wrong. God does nothing aimlessly and without purpose. And everything that he's done, trust me, he's thought it all out. He just didn't include you in the planning stages. And he don't have to. God don't need no tutor. You don't need no help. So he doesn't solicit you to raise your hand. Do I have any questions? No. God's God all by himself. The counsel of the Lord, it's still, that alone still is going to be the only thing that stands. So when God gets to planning and, and plotting and, 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 and mapping out the course and all these different things, and he's already done it before you ever got here, all the planning and everything, that was already taken care of. So he's not inviting you and I to weigh in on that. It's already done. You already know. He already, he's already decided. You know what he decided? He decided that he wants you to live for him. He wants you to be holy because he's holy. This, this is already decided. Now he gives it to you to accept it, but he don't, listen, you get to accept whether you want to abide by that or not. But you don't get to decide what the criteria will actually be. In other words, God, God defines the boundaries. You don't define the boundaries. God defines the boundaries. You decide whether you're going to operate inside the boundary or outside the boundary. That part is given to you. But the boundary itself, the rule, the expectation, the requirement of God is not given to you. You will never be invited into the planning. He will never ask you your opinion. You understand? It is already done. Your part is to decide what you will or will not do. Will you obey Jesus? Will you live for him? His way will sometimes offend you because the natural man will not always initially agree. But I can assure you, you determine to do it God's way, even if you don't understand how and why he's doing it. At the right place and at the right time, God will give you the understanding and the peace that you need in order to keep moving forward, you don't even have to worry about it. God Almighty knows exactly what he's doing. Peter intended to do. John 13, 38 says, Jesus answered him, wilt thou lay down thy life for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, the cock sh shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Peter had good intentions. We have good intentions at times. Some of us need some good intentions. Bible says learn to do good. 
Some of you don't have good intentions because you're not learning to do good. When you pursue good and righteousness, when you pursue what is right, it gets in you. You start to develop a taste for it, a desire for it. Amen. Learn to do good. You don't just instinctively know what to do. You got to bury yourself in the word of God. Acquainting yourself with the ways of God. And my goodness, you stay to the, you guess what? You, 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 you stay close to the fire long enough. My goodness, you're going to catch. You're going to ignite. You can't be that close to the fire that is God and not catch fire. Not if you desire to be there. If you desire to be in the presence of the Lord, for real and for true, yes, that fire is going to jump on you. Amen. Amen for the Holy Ghost. He's going to jump all over you. You too can have a desire to do the right thing. But even with that, we have this natural man and that at times caused problems. And Peter intended to do the right thing. And, but he found out he couldn't. See, many times we know our brother or our sister needs a helping hand. In some cases, we're willing and we want to do it, but there are times where we do know our brother or our sister needs a helping hand, but we refuse or we neglect to give it. Even when we know it. For this reason or for that reason, we know they need help. But we have taken it upon ourselves to determine that we're not going to help. We're going to be unhelpful instead of helpful. Unhelpful. Think about that for a moment. My previous pastor, Wilson Jones, would say, if you can't help, don't hurt. And amen, he's still saying it to this day. Glory to God. Would that we would live by that wisdom. Some of us are so unhelpful, it is just utterly ridiculous. Makes no sense to this. It's that not only are we not helping the situation, but we go so far as to even hurt the situation. Such things should not be named among us. You are just not called to be foolish, nor am I. And we got to walk away from these things that God is clearly not in. He's not in that behavior. If you don't have nothing to give, don't make stuff worse. Creating conflict and drama and arguments and all kinds of different things where it don't even, if you can't help, you can't help. Just sit down and be quiet. Wait on God till he gives you something that you can use to help. Sometimes what's helpful is the silence. Need some quiet time. But don't make it a point to make stuff worse. No, don't do that. Don't walk and don't walk in that, that ugliness. You and I must not walk in that. That's unrighteous. That's wickedness. We can't walk in that. 
We know a person needs some help, but we won't do it. Even when it's written. To know to do good, but not to do it. Look at James 4, 17. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Who are you really helping? When you have the ability to help your brother and sister. But you refuse. Who am I helping when I do that? Am I providing some momentary relief from anxiety and, and fear that has come up because I'm worried about what's gonna, how it's gonna be perceived and, and all, listen, you are, again, I'm gonna say it again, you are not responsible for the hearer's faith. When the message of God is going out and God is using, you are operating as the hands and feet, whether you are giving the word verbally or you are giving the word through action. In other words, you are living out the scripture. You are walking and talking and living. Listen, it is not your responsibility to make the person who is the recipient of that, either the spoken word or the word lived in front of, listen, it is their responsibility to have faith. Faith is always the responsibility of the hearer. Not the sower. It's their responsibility. So when we decide that we're not going to do it, for whatever the reason is, and we know that that's the right thing and what we should be doing. I must say it again. It is written, James 4, 17, therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Walking, living, and operating in love is our duty. Our Lord and Savior, he who is both Christ, while at the same time, he's God Almighty. Jesus said it this way. In the Gospel of John, chapter 15, verse 13. Don't forget this. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. There's no stronger presentation, no stronger demonstration. of true love, I'm saying it again and I'm closing with this, than that of self-sacrifice on the behalf of someone else, not for your own gain, but on the behalf of someone else.
God bless your family. We're going to stop here. We'll pick it back up next week and we'll continue on in hearing from the Lord and seeing what he has for us. You all have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday. God bless you. Wow.